Welcome to the Nexodus podcast. We are going to start off in Genesis chapter 37, where we left off talking about Esau and learning about his seed, the seed line of how he crossed and went contrary to the ways of his fathers, the covenants that his ancestors had made. He began to indulge with other nations and that's what caused a lot of conflict and derision in his sea line all the way through to as we picked up with Herod where he was now trying to kill his own. So as we move through these ancestral documentation we begin to see the beginnings of internal wars, internal warfare and how the bigger problem isn't outside entities coming in, but it's the internal conflict. Even within ourselves, that's on a macro level. On a micro level, we as human beings, a lot of the issues we deal with, whether it be disease of the body, conflict within ourselves, depression, negative outcomes that we've received, in most cases, we play a part in it. That's the power we have. And it's important for us, even as a people, as Afro people, as the firstborn, that we begin to understand that a lot of the issues we are dealing with as a people is of our own doing. This is not to say that we negate the atrocities that have been done towards us, but those atrocities wouldn't have grown to become so prevalent and impactful if we were walking according to our own autonomy according to the ways of the most high in obedience to what he told us to do we wouldn't be in certain circumstances that we find ourselves but that's why we're taking the time to retrace our steps to go back to the old waste places as isaiah said and former paths to dwell in and he's going to restore it the ancient areas of our existence and realign us back to the original intent so with that being said, we are now pushing forward into Genesis chapter 37. And this is really key because we begin to learn more about how Joseph and how the family of Jacob began to dissipate as a result of infighting amongst the brothers. We've already went through the life of Jacob. Jacob is now older. He has seen some of the promises that the Most High has given the fulfillment that was passed on from Abram, which is to give them the land of Canaan. As we reflected in our last podcast, the curse that was announced from Noah, not from the Most High, but from Noah. And Noah had the, the power to speak into his generation that it would show up and manifest into the lives of the people because of the the unction and the ability and the power that the Most High had given him and his seed line. They were the beginning progenitors after the flood to all of humanity as we see to this very day. And all of us come from those seed lines. So it's important for us to understand the personality traits, what happened, people groups, the different tribes that came as a result of a lot of what was going on at this particular time period. Genesis chapter 37, verse one says, and Jacob, or as we like to clarify from a translation standpoint, Akobi, if you drop the J, 
or if you go to the language of the West where Shem dwelled, Yoruba as we know it today, Akobi means the firstborn. The firstborn. In Exodus chapter 4, it says, And I will deliver Jacob or Akobi, my firstborn. So we have to remember a lot of the fragments and the translation and the transliterations that have passed over time has skewed some of the context of the word. That's why the Holy One must come by his spirit to translate and to verify and reveal the word to us. And that's what we're hoping will happen in this podcast, that the most I would come in and touch the word, make it alive, that it would resonate and connect with us today that we can find metrics outside of scripture, but doesn't con- go contrary to the word and that we can learn stuff about ourselves and how to get back in alignment with the ways and the character of the creator so that we can be in the right place for this healing that is transpiring amongst the people right now. So in Genesis chapter 37, verse one, and Jacob or Akobi dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And we've already talked about that, so I won't go into that much more. But we have to remember one key thing. Every place he has for us, we will have to endure obstacles. Why? Because of the curse of the descendants of Adam. Adam, because of his disobedience to the Most High, is sent a shockwave throughout the human genome, the human condition, the human ability, the human capacities. The earth itself was all thrown out of course, and that won't be redeemed until we get the new heavens and the new earth as the Most High resets it all and puts things in order. So until then, there's struggle that we're going to deal with. There's going to be chaos because of the curse that was placed between us and the land and between his seed, Satan's seed, and our seed or the seed of Eve. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, It says that, and I will put an enmity between your seed and her seed. So we as Afro peoples need to understand and overstand why things are the way they are. Why we are always at this juncture of hatred and ridicule amongst ourselves and with other nations. It is a seed war. And once we begin to understand that, then the Most High can begin to communicate with us at a higher level to get us back in alignment because it was promised in the ancestral documentation. It was promised to our ancestors that he would restore what was lost and bring us back to a place. But it was also said that it wouldn't be all of us, but that there would be a remnant. So this is the trying times of Jacob's trouble or Jacobi's trouble. And we're seeing the physical representation of that in so many different ways. And we look at the reference point of this break, this breakage between the original intent that the Most High had with Adam in his presence, in his land, in his garden, which was in Ethiopia, the whole of Ethiopia. And as you look at older maps, davidrumsey.com is a great reference point to go into the older maps and see where it talks about Ethiopia being bigger than what we see now, which is just the state of Ethiopia. And the state of Ethiopia is a great sign that the Most High's word will last forever, regardless of whether we gave up our power to other nations, whether it be through colonization or wars or infiltration of other countries or people groups that came into the garden, the scramble for Africa, as they like to call it. 
the naming of the land to be contrary to what the Most High said, whether it be as far back as Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the different lands that were given to the sons. Misraim, now it's called Egypt. Now it's called Africa, whether it's Africanus or it means this and Africa means that. All those things are irrelevant to me because the most I said that this is the garden. So that's why I call it the garden. And we're going to speak forth his word like Ezekiel spoke his word when Ezekiel said, and shall these dry bones live again? And I prophesied to the dry bones. So we're speaking the word of the most high into this environment. And as we speak his presence, his word, his prophecy, his promise is being activated every time we speak whether people hear it whether people agree with it it doesn't matter because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not mighty through men or the ways of men the ways of the spirit realm don't work like that so when we speak it into the atmosphere we are commanding it according to the unseen realm where the most high dwells and where he calls us to live and that he's reteaching us again he's realigning us again so that we can understand how to operate in that space to then maneuver in this physical environment and the obstacle that jacob was experiencing with canaan and having that portion of the land that was allotted to him through the different ancestral transactions if i can say that with a different uh, movement uh between shem ham japheth noah and so forth and so on all the way up to jacob we find ourselves here, but remember what the Most High said unto Adam in Genesis chapter 3. To recap, he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed. This is the Most High placing a curse on the works of Adam because of what he had done. That's why our Savior, who's from our bloodline, came and said, I'm for the lost sheep of the firstborn or the lost sheep of Akobi or Jacob, which has been translated to Israel. But that's another conversation we won't get into. He's from that seed line. That's what made him the doorway. That's what made him the king, the, the only way to the father, because he's the second Adam. So he was the healer. He was the repairer of the breach. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to reestablish it. Now we have our king who intercedes for us and he helps us not be judged for us going outside of the will because we're so vulnerable. We're at such a lower state. So when we're going through the scriptures and we're going through some of the things that we're about to read regarding Jacob and how the Most High judged his sons, we're going to learn why the Most High judged. What were the principles behind what? And I love the instantaneous of the Most High's correction because I don't like for it to linger. I want him to correct me then and there. I want when I go out of pocket or I fall into what we call sin, when I go outside of the covenant, when I'm not walking in righteousness or in right standing or in the original plan, I always long for the Most High to correct me right then and there so that I can get back into alignment to flow with him. And I've noticed over these several years of me going outside of the will. If you go seven years out, it's going to take you seven years in, sometimes longer. We see that pattern with Moshe. Moshe was 40 years amongst Egypt, and then he had to go into the backside of the desert for another 40 years. And then the Most High came and visited him 
when he was 80 years old and he was able to get them out. When they left Egypt, and we'll get through this later on when we go through Moshe or Moses, they passed through West Africa to start there or what we call West Africa into the West. And we can trace that. And once again, Bantu International has many videos and sessions where he talks about that from a geological standpoint. And I think that you should definitely visit that to begin to understand the actual pathway that he went through. So we'll talk about some of those uh, concepts as we move along, but let's move through the scripture. So cursed be the ground for your sake. Thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth in the herbs of the field. And from the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken. Verse 19 of Genesis chapter 3. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground from which thou was taken. From dust thou art, to dust shall you return. So the Most High was saying, listen, you're always going to be in conflict with the earth because you, you transgressed it. So we're seeing here that Jacob is in the land where he can't touch it right now because there's other people there. There's other things that have come, the domino effect that has made him a stranger in the promised land. We see that right now. We are strangers in our own land. The land that was allotted to us by blood DNA, we don't touch it. Most of the people in the garden do not touch the fruit of the land. Look at the Congo. It's the most resourceful portion of land in the earth, arguably, but no one can touch it. It is being ravaged by other nations. We are strangers in the land. So these things in the scriptures are not just folklore or fairy tales, but we can see in real time the connection point. And the question is, how do we get back into alignment so that we can move in the ways of the Most High? And Jacob was sitting in that land and dwelling there and beginning to build himself in the captivity as a stranger and was trying to align himself and get himself positioned so that the promise that was given to his forefather, Abram, would be manifest in his generation. So we see now in verse two of Genesis chapter 37, these are the generations of Akobi or Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bila. Now, remember, Bila and Zilpah were the two handmaidens that were given to Jacob from Leah and Rachel, and they had sons. So remember, they weren't the original intended wives. So there's already an animosity there. There's already a pedigree there that is of a certain type and Joseph being the most loved one and what scripture will show us that because of Jacob's old age he loved him but it was more so because he loved Rachel so much that we learned about previously in other podcasts that he loved Rachel so much so Joseph was her, his first son with Rachel and he loved him and Joseph now had the favor so now what does that do it causes animosity it causes jealousy it causes friction in the family so it says here that and the lad referring to Joseph was with the sons of Bila and with the sons of Zilpah his father's wives and Joseph brought unto his father an evil report what was he doing he was snitching and they were hot you know he brought a report saying hey man they out there in the field doing this they out there messing with this they're doing that and from his vantage point he was operating as 
a caretaker and understood the ways of the most high and wanted to keep in alignment with what his father desired. But his brothers, because they were, I don't mean second tier as in their worth as human beings, but according to this nation that they were building, they weren't the original choice. So the way that they operated was very different. In most cases, they were probably intermingling with the, the Canaanite peoples, picking up their culture, doing things they weren't supposed to do. You understand, you know, teenagers, you know how older brothers are. They doing what boys do. And Joseph was the young one and being the tattletale and they was hot with him. But that envy that his brothers felt towards him was built from what his mom had experienced. His mom gave her handmaiden over in envy. Remember, we learned that earlier in the previous podcast that she gave over Billa because of envy for Leah, because Leah was bearing all the children. Rachel hadn't received any children. So out of her envy, she gave. So what was she sowing? If you think of it from an agricultural standpoint, she was sowing envy and now her seed was receiving the envy. So that envious spirit, that energy manifested through a reversed harvest from what Rachel had sown and was activated through Joseph and his mismanagement of the authority and gift to lead, which usually happens among family members. And that prophet is never going to be received with honor. So now Joseph has put himself in enmity in direct conflict with his brothers. And that was sown through his mom sown through what was already birthed into his actual fabric it was in his actual fabric like the popular song from kendrick's previous album where he said i got loyalty i got royalty inside my dna he's talking about the different things that are given to you from your ancestors the things that are passed down generationally you don't only inherit your mom's nose and eyes and ears but you inherit their proclivities and their tendencies and their points of view and their ways of being we know that to be true. So we see now he's up there snitching and giving the report, possibly and in most cases telling the truth, but it was not something that the brothers were happy about. So he experienced the wrath of his brothers to come. So now in verse three of 37, now Akobi or Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. In verse four, and then his brethren saw that the father loved him all the more, meaning loved Joseph more than his brethren. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They was hot. First of all, your mom was loved. My mom was secondary. Now you come in, come snitching, talking about everything that I have done, didn't do. And now I have this issue with you. And Joseph dreamed a dream. Verse five. And he told his brethren. Now he's telling his brothers about his dreams. Oh, man, that's a huge mistake. That crab in the barrel type of mentality now is fueling the hatred and gave more room for the family to now become more divided when they were trying to align themselves to be able to possess the land, to find themselves worthy to receive the fullness of the covenant. They are now going even more contrary, more divided. You have these different family portions. You had Leah, who had her children, her six sons and her daughter. And then you had Billa who had her two sons, Zilpah had her two sons, and then Rachel had her two sons. And they're all moving and doing what they need to do 
in order to get in the best position possible. And now Joseph comes around talking about dreams of dreams. They understood that the father loved him. He had the coat of many colors. He was so prestigious in the eyes of his father. So this just opened up all the doors in the spirit realm for unclean spirits to come in into the family and to legally have the room to bring in more destruction. Remember, these unclean spirits are already set from destruction, whether it be from Noah's time that were born of the Nephilim, that were born of the, the, the hybrid human angel interaction that Genesis chapter six talks about, that Enoch talks about. And now they're disembodied spirits waiting for judgment and they look for bodies to inhabit, to host. And when you do demonic or when you do negative things and you manifest that, whether it be hatred, all kinds of envy, those different things. Not saying every time you operate in that space is demonic, but you are opening the portal or opening the door for that to become a stronger influence in your life. And remember, we said in earlier podcasts that these types of things happen in stages. Starts with oppression, suppression, depression, possession in that hierarchy. Same thing. What does the scripture say? Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. You get stole on or you steal from somebody, then you have the access to kill. And once you kill, if you're able to stay, you're to destroy. Luke chapter 11, our savior gave us even more insight to the spirit realm. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man or out of a person or away from an individual, it goes into the waste spaces or it goes into the spirit world. It goes into the unseen realm, but then it will come back to see if it has vacancy, if it has the ability to get a host again. And this time, so that it doesn't lose its place, it will bring in seven stronger spirits to come in and that person's state is worse than the next. And that's what we're seeing here. So when you read some of these words, when you see these things are happening in the physical where people said they hating and they're de developing a hatred form, that is a cane energy. That is from the sea line of Satan. That's that enmity sea. That's why Cain killed Abel because of the fallen energy we talked about that in the previous podcast but i want to move along because we got a lot of ground to cover so joseph not having the wisdom and understanding the timing to share his dream so that his dream would be a blessing which it will end up being anyway but he had to go through training he had to learn how to operate outside of his flesh outside of his ego outside of his immaturity his ignorance of not knowing what was happening because he was young. He didn't realize that he was revving up or he realized and didn't care because he had the coat of many colors and he's his daddy's boy. So there's a couple of different ways that could be. And I think there's a little bit of both there because we see that type of energy with his mom and his mom was running game on so many different levels. And we talked about that. And now it's being passed down to Joseph. You can be a gold vessel a silver or bronze vessel of honor, or you can be a gold, bronze or silver vessel of dishonor. So we need to have the discernment. That's why it's so important that we have discernment. The scriptures teach us to discern every spirit, to discern it, not discern human beings and bodies and so forth and so on, because that's just the outer shell that will go back. But the spirit of a man, the spirit of a woman, the spirit of a person is what we need to be discerning, especially in these last days, as there's so much deception out there and so many things happening that we're not aware of in the conscious space or in the mind space or in the spirit space. So when I use spirit, 
Don't get it caught up with religion. The context is spiritual, intangible, mind, thought processes, imaginations. That area is what I'm talking about. And that is where the real war is. That is where the real war has always been. It's in the battle of the mind, the consciousness. So that's why our weapons are not physical. Every physical weapon came from a consciousness, a thought process. So as we see in this world, the prince of darkness is the god of this realm that the Most High has given him jurisdiction over this realm because Adam handed it to him. So now he's the god of this world. That's why we see an increase of wickedness. But the increase of wickedness is coming to a standstill or to its final destination because the reset has began. And that's what our Savior came to show, was talking about throughout Matthew chapter 11 when he said the end of an age. That is what we're experiencing. So it's very important for us to understand that. Verse 36 of chapter uh, 37. Sorry, Genesis chapter 37, verse 6. And he said unto them, here I pray. This is Joseph. This is the dream that I had. And he begins to talk about how he was binding up the sheaves and they stood upright and how they were all going to bow. And they were like in verse 8. So you're going to reign over us. You're going to have dominion over us. So they hated him even the more for his dreams and his words. What he was saying was true. Absolutely. The timing was not right. And the energy and the spirit and the in in how he presented it wasn't the best way because he didn't have the wisdom. He was a 17 year old boy, just like most of us. When we're 17, we think we know everything. We're invincible. We just talking like I'm the best. I can do this. I can do this. Da, 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 da. And we cause a lot of envy. You know, we see that in sports. So anyone who plays sports, you get that. Let your actions speak and your gift speak for you. Because the scripture says that your gift will make room for you and put you before great men. You don't need to be boasting and tell nobody. Anyone who has to tell people they're great and try to share with them that they're great and how dope they are and how awesome they are and how lit they are. In most cases, they're highly insecure and they're not as popping as they say they are. It's an illusion because they usually don't own what they have. They don't really have the power that they say they have, but they want to project that. We call those sorcerers. We call those jesters. We call those individuals soothsayers. This is witchcraft, so forth and so on. Right. And most people say, well, witchcraft is not always. Listen, anything that's manipulative is what I'm talking about. That's the, the illusion of grandeur, but not really being of substance. And Joseph had the substance in his DNA and would get to it in time. But at this particular moment, it wasn't so. But he knew who he was from a DNA standpoint and he knew who he was because the most I was showing him. But he didn't have the grace and the understanding that it was in time and he was going to have to learn that. So in verse 37, he told his father, look, this is the things that are happening. I had another dream and I saw the stars and you guys were paying obeisance to me. And now his father was like, you need to chill out. You're going too far. Are you saying I'm going to bow me and your mom and all of us are going to do this to you? And But because Jacob had discernment, he was able to understand what was happening. And in verse 37, we see something very key. It says his brethren envied him so that envy energy is just circulating in that family and if that begins to cultivate man all kind of demonic energies can come into that all kinds of negative outcomes and intentions are being brewed at this time so we're seeing this over the course of time so when we get to certain parts of the text now you're going to see why they were so relved up to slay their brother because they allowed that energy in their body and that type of negative energy in your body can cause sickness it can cause you to respond and react 
in negative ways. A lot of these shootings we see that was happening, these school-wide shootings, that wasn't a spur of the moment. That was something that was building over time and the enemy was playing on the emotion and playing in the psyche and getting them into a place, playing on their bloodline, playing on their ancestral um, proclivities and ways of being that was then triggering and activating those DNAs for them to now be possessed to do negativity, to hate. Just like we see in most contemporary times with what happened there at the AME church when he went in and killed those people. That was coming from a seabed of intention that was brewing in him for many generations through his family or him sitting there himself directly where he wanted to kill and he was okay with that and understood what he was doing. So that's the same type of energy that these brothers were experiencing amongst each other. That's why you can see what's happening, what they call Chirac or happening in D.C. or happening in any major city, Compton or wherever our peoples are, that we could have the audacity, the strength to kill one another. That is this energy. So that's why I said earlier, the blame can be passed to others and they should be held accountable for the things happening. But now is the season for judgment to start within the house. We have to get amongst ourselves and realize that we have to change our own courses of action so that we can survive and grow. We see that even amongst the Tutsis in Rwanda when they went through 100 days of genocidal actions that killed over 800,000, the estimates is 800,000 to a million people in 100 days. And how were they able to reconcile that? That is what we need to be studying. That's what we need to understand so that we can replicate that amongst our own in the different sectors where the trauma base is so strong, the the hatred, the demonic strongholds, those scriptures call are embedded in the mind so deeply that you have the power to kill yourself that is reflected in your brother. This is where this started. And this is what we're reading in our ancestral documentation. So we have to deal with it at the root so that we can be free on the outside. Chapter 37, verse 12, and his brethren went to feed their flocks in Shechem. Now, we already learned about Shechem and what happened in Shechem when Levi and Simeon went through and tore the place up. So this is in the land of Canaan. This is not their particular people group, but it, the land was allotted to them due to Canaan and what Canaan had done. The Most High had reversed and flipped things around, but it was going to happen in a course of time over generations. And they were trying to prepare themselves for that. But because of that envy that was brewing in them, and they were in that same location, what kind of portal was open there for them to now want to slay their own brother like they did Shechem when Hamor had raped their sister Dinah and they went in, that same energy was being collected in that same space. And Akobi said unto Joseph, go check on your brothers out there in Shechem and give me a report, let them know what's going on with the business, with the flocks, what's happening. So he goes out there, he's trying to travel and he couldn't find them. So he saw someone say, yo, I'm looking for my brothers. Where are they? He said, oh, I think I heard him talking about going down to Dothan. So that's where he went. We're now pushing forward to Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. And when they saw, when the brothers who were doing business now see Joseph from afar off, before they even came near to him, they conspired against to slay him. Just imagine all the brothers coming together and like, let's kill him. Remember, this was of a residual that had been building all the way that tension was all the way in their family their mothers were having this tension amongst themselves and then as you're growing up 
You know what mom is saying, don't be around them because they daddy's like this and he going to think this and he think he better just because Rachel. So all of that is brewing in the mind. Then their father showing more favor, loving him more. That's another metric and factor that was adding into the insult for injury that the brothers were experiencing. Then Joseph talking about dreams and saying, hey, y'all going to bow to me. Y'all sheaves was standing upright and was bound to me. I was the moon. I was a, what, 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 man, slay him. That was what was going on. That's what they were conspiring. They were talking through this. And just imagine each brother giving their line like, and he think he this. I'm about, I'm finna, I'm about to, I'm about to do this. I'm going to do this. Da, da, da. They about to get him. Verse 21. And Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands. Reuben being the firstborn, Leah, he had an influence. He understood what was going on. Remember, Reuben was already in a negative space with his father because he slept with Billa, which was Rachel's concubine. So some of that energy was there. So he was like, listen, I'm going to use some diplomatic power in this situation and maneuver through this to hopefully persuade my brothers not to kill him. Let's find a different way. So Reuben heard this and delivered him out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. So he was doing a great thing right there. And that was the grace of the Most High coming into a situation where there was so much anger, so much negativity happening that was going to destroy the bedrock of a nation that the Most High was building through Akobi at this time or through Jacob at this time. So Reuben, as a firstborn, stepped into his rightful space and stood there and was interceding in the gap for Joseph so that it didn't destroy or cause more divisiveness. Because as the firstborn, although he was in that bad state, he understood that this will perpetuate into the seed line forever. And he knew the ways of the Most High. So he was like, no, I'm going to operate in diplomacy. And he understood from a DNA level. He had consciousness that Rachel is still my auntie. We were the ones whom Jacob chosen and we cannot have this happen. And I don't want this blood on my hands either because I already am in a bad state with my father. Let me step up, do something good so I can preserve myself, my seed line to come and protect his brother. So even in his weakness, even in his brokenness, he was doing righteousness. And that's all of us. At times we may do a lot of bad things, but then we find out how to do something good and it redeems. It fortifies the most I can use it to refrain, to restrain, to reserve, to preserve. And that's a really awesome thing that he did. So Reuben said, let's shed no blood. Let's not cast him. Let's put him in a pit in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him. And it was like, okay, that's a good idea. But in his heart, he was like, I want to do that so I can then grab him and take him back to my father again and save him. And that was his intention, which was a great intention, but it didn't work out that way. And it came to pass in verse 23, when Joseph was coming in to see his brothers, that they grabbed him. Just imagine him walking up. It was like, yo, what's up, bro? Dad said, and they like, shut up, come here. Took him, grabbed him, yanked him stripped him of his coat of many colors that was on him took him and threw him into the pit where there was no water slammed him into the pit you imagine just that feeling of being in the pit and and the book of jasher goes into more detail that's what i love about the book of jasher which would be considered a non-canonical or an apocryphal or an extra biblical all these terms that are used in certain spaces but when you discern by the spirit of the most high it doesn't go contrary to the text that we have that have been orchestrated as the canon you can maneuver in it and really understand the ways of what was happening and in practical human nature you can discern and say you know what that's probably what happened because we see that happening now but he was crying in that pit saying please brothers please and they were feeling it on the inside they were like man if we don't shut him up he gonna 
drive me crazy. I'm feeling conviction. But that anger, that spirit of envy, that spirit of hatred had built such a stronghold in them that they didn't want to let in. They didn't want to let go. I'm sure most of our brothers went before they kill another brother or when a murderer is going to do that, there's some sort of conviction that may hit them. But that envy, that anger has superseded them that it speaks louder. And how many of us have done things may not be physical killing somebody, but you slander someone's name and then you felt, you know, negative about it. But he's like, it don't matter. They deserve it because they shouldn't have done A, B, C and D. Forget them. That's what it is. That type of mentality is what they were operating in. So they were having a struggle in their own self because most of them wanted to kill. But once again, because Reuben stepped up and they weren't all in agreement, they couldn't automatically do it. They didn't have a full quorum. And as you see in the book of Enoch, when the fallen angels made a decision to sleep with the daughters of men, that is revealed in Genesis chapter six, Enoch shows us that they all agreed and swore an oath. If you don't have full agreement in any deed that's going down, you have somebody who's not, it's going to cause problems because they become an outlier and they could abort. They become rogue. They can become a liability, so forth and so on. So they were trying to figure out how they were going to move. And then in verse 25, it says, and they sat down, ate bread. And as they lifted up their eyes, they looked and saw a company of Ishmaelites. Who are the Ishmaelites? That's still within the family structure. This is the seed of Abram, but with Hagar, which was like a Billa or Zilpah. She was a forced relationship or a non-covenantal relationship that was put together by Sarah's inability to wait on the most high and that now caused a different seabed of nation to be built which abraham still interfaced as we see in jasher that he still talked and went and visited ishmael he still loved ishmael he still was a part of his life but just not in the original seed covenant that was made between the line of shem they went into japheth or as they would say ham according to the current translation but it's most likely Japheth because so much of scripture speaks of that whether it be Genesis chapter 9 27 or Genesis chapter 10 verse 21 where it constantly talks about just Japheth and Shem and does not mention Ham and then when you look at Ham in the isles of the nations it makes more sense to this particular point in time that Ham and his actions and his ways of being even in the names of some of the cities whether it be Hamburg Birmingham so forth and so on speak more of what Ham would do so those Gentile nations are probably most likely ham. But that's semantics and hermeneutics that we won't go into right now. So I'm going to continue to move forward. So we see here that they sat down, ate bread. They lifted up their eyes, looked, and a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh. And they were on their way down to Mizraim or Egypt, which is in the house of Ham. He had Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. Those were his sons. And that's on the eastern part of the garden or the eastern part of Africa, which we now see Ethiopia, Somalia, Egypt. All of those lands there are the descendants of Ham, a.k.a. Japheth. It's important that I still share the other side as well so that you can do your own research to see what conclusions you come to. And once again, I don't get caught up too much on names, but what reality, spiritual reality does it point to so it can help us find our identity and know how to maneuver. So this is all us trying to understand the fragmented scriptures 
and that the most high is helping bring clarity and revelation to so that we can maneuver properly with uh, the understanding. So now they are selling. They were contemplating to sell Joseph to Egypt or to Misraim, which is still in the line. It was a mismanagement. It was still a partial connection to the covenant. So they weren't completely outside of the, the Most High's will. That's the beauty because now the Most High could still flow through that and, and protect Joseph and guide for the long term of his divine will. So everything is in the Most High's hand. Nothing is done without the Most High knowing. Nothing is done without his permission, whether it be we perceive it to be evil or not. Because as we'll see, this is a hard time for Joseph, but it was a imperative time. And a lot of times we go through hard times and we think at the moment, man, this is difficult. This is hard. Why have you forsaken me? Why is this happening to me? It's not fair. So forth and so on. But the Most High is doing something greater that's beyond you. That's why we have to trust because in due time, he will reveal it to us and he will protect us because of his covenant. And the children understood that even though they were angry and they chose not to kill him, they were going to sell him. But because in their DNA, Jacob had taught them the ways of the Most High, they made decisions that gave the Most High easier access to come in and intervene. And then in verse 37 it says, and Judah said unto his brethren, what profit? That's very key. Judah, very important. Yehuda. Because remember, the J wasn't there. Yehuda, as we see in the original, I think the original or it's not the original, but it's what we have to work with. The original would be Bantu languages, as we see in Daniel, as we see what the Savior said with Eli, Eli, Sabachthani. That's in the Osa dialect, which would be one of the older Kosan languages, even in the metrics of modern science and what is deemed to be true among the nations outside of biblical reference and text that the oldest language, the oldest people group is those Kosan people in the southern tip. And we see that language throughout scripture in Daniel amongst the Savior and um, in other parts of, of biblical text. So anyhow, in the Hebrew, Yehuda says in verse 26, what profit if we slay our brother? and conceal his blood let's sell him and this is the beginning of us selling one another Yehuda which is very interesting that he did that 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 very action over time was the residual of the transatlantic and the Saharan Sarah and Haran the Saharan slave trades that were happening Yehuda, that slave trade, once again, that reversed residual echoed <laughs> the harvest that he sown in that those words to sell his brother ended up where he was being sold into other foreign lands. Where did most of our enslavement into the Americas, the Southern America, Northern America, the islands, the Caribbeans came from Yehuda land, older maps, David Ramsey collection, Judah Negro, Gold Coast lands, that is Judah. So we're seeing that this pattern and where was Shem? He was in the western part of the continent. 
we, we still see Tira there. We still see Peleg. We see Ebert. Some of these names are still embedded in a lot of the names of the cities in Niger, in Burkina Faso, in Nigeria, Padanaram, Cameroon, Gold Coast, Yehuda Land, Wahuda in Benin, the door of no return. All of these are the signs, the fingerprints, the most highest place there to help us understand where these captivities was and how these things were happening. So in his partial mismanagement, that captivity was pushed all the way into this very time. Verse 27, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, Saharan slave trade, Ishmael, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And the brothers were like, that's a good idea. Let's make some money off of him. So then when they were making this decision in verse 28, they saw the Midianites. Who are the Midianites? Midianites are still within the line of Abram, Couture's family. Midian, this is where Jacob went to with Laban. So they were like, oh, they won't know the difference. Let's do that. Because remember, the sons of Laban were upset with Akobi anyway. And that's when he left. But that energy was still harnessed. And so we have to see this thing in context. So it makes a lot more sense to what was happening. And now Joseph was being sold into slavery as what? An indentured servant. How did we start slavery? It was more indentured. When our chiefs were selling off our brothers and our sisters to other nations for product, for produce, for cargo, for weapons, for whatever the reasons were for them doing something negative in the community and we sold them off as punishment all these reasonings for why we were doing it we were selling them off not to where it escalated when it became the transatlantic slave trade that was a different thing when we were being stripped from the land a lot of this was happening on the land pot and haram so forth and so on in the west to japheth in the east that's what was happening here it was still on the continent it wasn't going off the continent so that lets you know that they were all Afro peoples. And we'll see later on the signs, the fingerprints showing us who these people were, how they looked, what hue they were, what color they were. All these things are being revealed as we walk through the scriptures so that we can gain our confidence, gain our identity, get our clarity back by the power of the Holy One and by his spirit. So that Saharan slave trade had its origins in the Ishmael which is the Arab flow, the Ishmaelites from the Midianites. So they're amongst the same people, two different, Kator and Hagar, all wives of Abram, but outside of covenant with Sarah, they're selling the covenant Shem seed back into that space. So they don't really care for him that much anyway, because they understood those things amongst themselves. So we have to understand everything that's happening is about a nation being built that the Most High had carved out from Abram that he wanted to build for himself that would reflect his glory and be the caretakers to show the rest of the nations how to serve the Most High. And no one wants to be secondary. They want to be the head. So now you see with Joseph being chosen by birthright, now being challenged and being devastated and becoming an indentured servant or slave in this whole situation so we look down in verse 28 and they took joseph out of the pit and sold joseph to the ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they bought joseph into egypt and reuben 
returned. He came back to the pit and didn't see where Joseph was. So Reuben was not a part of this. Reuben had gone off and was trying to figure out how he was going to get him out to take him back to his father. He comes back and they showed him the coat. At this time, they hadn't told him later on. We know that they did tell him eventually. But at this time, he's feeling the shock like what Jacob is about to feel. And he's like, why would you guys do this? How can you have done this? How can you have done this? Where did he go? And they showed him the coat of many colors, verse 32. And they brought it to their father. Now, at this point, when they're going back, they told Reuben and Reuben got his change and was like, all right, cool. I can go. I can roll with that. But still deceived his father that envy. As soon as he got back, he was in agreement with it. Like, yeah, my dad is mad about this. Well, look, now I'm, I want you to feel some pain. I've always wanted you to feel some pain because you was never there for me and I'm your firstborn. So you see, there's all kind of stuff going on in the family. <laughs> so much hatred, so much envy, so much backbiting, so much hurt, so much pain. And I'm not putting the brothers as being um, the villains in all situations. You can understand the humanity that they had that, wow, my dad don't care about me. He don't love me like he loves Joseph and how he loves Rachel. But he's treating us like stepchildren and all that played a role that blinded them and the enemy was able to deceive them to start this whole process of hatred toward their brother. When Akobi saw what had happened, he was floored and tore his clothes and sackcloth and he was so sad and I'm sure the brothers was feeling it as well. And then in verse 35, it says, and all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go down to the grave for my son mourning. Thus he wept. He was so sad that his son had died. His wife had died. All he had was Benjamin that was there. And he was just distraught. Can you imagine your son feeling and not knowing the truth, but that your son is dead? How many of you have been a victim of a lie? that was meant to harm you, to hurt you, to break you, the betrayal from a family member. So you're seeing this internal pain that we've experienced and are experiencing. A lot of the pain we feel internally is so strong amongst us and then it happens from other nations who capitalize on that pain. It becomes traumatic. Third degree trauma burns. Like when you get burnt physically, that's third degree trauma burns. The display of hatred on the continent that was one degree. Then being pushed off of the continent and put into the islands to be broken. There was a bit of a, a connection still to the land, a reservation and a reserve of a culture that still keeps the Jamaicans and the Bahamians and so forth and so on connected to their Afro heritage and their uh, connection to the garden and knowing that they came from Sierra Leone, Ghana or the western part, the Shem area. And, and being able to preserve that and loving it, as you see even with the Rastafarians saying that they're from Ethiopia is our home. They know where they're from. They love where they're from. They love being Afro people. They love being from the garden and display that through reggae and through culture and food and so forth and so on. And a lot of the same words are that was translated. But then there was that third degree. Yeah, transatlantic when they broke them in the in the islands and then took them up to south and into the north of the Americas, the newfound land according to the European nations. That's when there was a greater disconnect that we're seeing to this day amongst those who they call black Americans or African Americans where there's such a divisiveness between those on the continent and those who are off the continent, but the most high is bringing it back together again from years of brokenness. 
because of the promise he made to our ancestors and he's doing it. And it's beautiful to see that he would bring the captives out of the past and bring them into a place of healing, a place of strength and power. So we see now in chapter 36 and the Midianites, AKA also the Ishmaelites sold Joseph into the office of Pharaoh's captain of the guard. Remember when they were on that block, they knew the power of who Joseph was and what seed line he came from. So he wasn't cheap. So Joseph became an indentured servant, which is so, as I said before, likely of that Sahara, Sarah and Haran. This is still on the continent slave trade. And that's what was the first slave trade that caused the detriment. And then it expanded as it went north and the Europeans got involved in that 15th century. So from the 11th, 12th century up into the 14th century, you had the Saharan slave trade, Saharan Haran. This is still on the continent. The vibration is somewhat high indenture servitude. There was still intermingle connection treated as human to one degree or another, but that began to be more of a lost form as the business, they became more commodified. It became more of a commodity. And it started first with the Saharan and then being stripped off the land. That's when it became more brutal and it became just cargo, just commodity, just property. And that's what we've been experiencing. The lack of humanity, the lack of dignity that was passed down, but it started at this particular juncture as we're seeing in the ancestral documentation. And that next level will be returned. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, he said, you will go off the land, but I will bring them back to the land and they will come back with great spoil and I will judge those nations. So once we left the original domain, it became a more hideous experiment because we were plucked out from the root of the land, which was in the divine order for a season. But now the most high in these years of the return is bringing us back around. So now we move down to chapter 38. It talks about Judah and you begin to learn more about Judah, just like we had a snapshot of of Esau in chapter 36, 37. We go back into a wide frame of the family and then we go back into Judah because Judah plays such a huge role because Yehuda means praise. Yehuda means praise. He was the son of Jacob and Leah, the fourth born. So he went down from his brethren. Remember, he left his brethren. They had come back. The father, Jacob, or Akobi, is just so sad because of the loss of Joseph, or as he thought was dead. And now he separated himself and began to compromise the national security. As we can see, the descendants of Yehuda is the lead and are compromising the, the national security of the reconciliation because we keep worshiping other gods while we're in these captivities, as opposed to stepping up to become the powerhouse that brings forth the healing to the nations. And he who has an ear, let him hear what has just been said. Those who know they're of the Judah seed. Now, once again, I don't get caught up in the name, but what does it reflect in the transatlantic slave trade and what type of influence and resources are now been given as a result of the Most High sustaining the seed of Yehuda while in the captivities? And how are we following the same framework DNA structure of our forefathers and how can we reverse it and bring it back? We're going to learn a lot about Judah 
through a few verses I want to tap into. So he went down from his brethren, which was now becoming a national security issue and turned into a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. So now he's chasing after women and he saw one of them who was a Canaanite. He's following in the steps of Esau. He went outside of the covenant. He's dealing with women who are not of his seed line. And that's where a lot of trouble began to happen for him, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her and she conceived and bare him a son named Er. <laughs> Error. That was the wrong move. Er. And that's a really important piece there, because when you look at the Hebrew of Er, it means awake. OK, awake. But then it also gives you in the in the lexicon of that same word air to mean watcher. Hmm. That term watcher is really powerful because in the book of Enoch, it talks about the watchers being in the demonic realm or in the fallen angel realm. So this connection he did was a portal opening for the demonic to come in and begin to bring judgments or cause sin because that family bedrock that was being built through the sons of Akobi, he was bringing error, error into the nation, bringing error in by mixing with a seed line that the Most High had already pronounced to be outside of the covenant or that Noah had cursed and said, you will become a servant and will not be of the royal priesthood. So he was trying to mix priesthood with servants. Judah was now beginning to mix priesthood blood priesthood precepts priesthood ways of being with servantry and with people who were outside of the covenant and that was causing a lot of issues and we begin to see it even more and she conceived another son and called his name onan and yet she conceived another son and called him sheila now we look at verse 38 and judah took a wife for her his firstborn whose name was tamar and Ur, verse uh, 7 of chapter 38, and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Most High. And the Most High slew him. And why would the Most High slay him? Because he was doing things outside of the covenant that was going to offset the family dynamic, the priesthood that the Most High was trying to build among the sons of Akobi or Jacob, the firstborn. He was trying to reestablish the promise that he made to Abram. And this was taking it off course. And we see through his actions, he was acting just like the fallen. He was acting just like Ham. He was acting just like Cain. He was doing things that were contrary because he was of Canaan. He was doing those things that the Most High did not like. So in verse eight, and Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed for her. But Onan knew that the seed Remember, Onan meant strong, so he had strong seed. <laughs> that was embedded in his name. And Onan said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to spill this. So this is the first pulling out we see in the scriptures. And in that context, you know, we're in the Western world now, so you can't read the scriptures from a Western context. We have to read it within the context of building a tribe, building a nation. That was no, no. The Most High is like, you don't spill seed precious seed that I've given you to procreate the thing that I told you that I wanted to do. And remember, they were at a very high vibration. So the judgment would come on them really quick. Now we have our savior. We're at lower vibrations. We've been through so many different iterations. 
and the most has been gracious with us who are so feeble and frail that he doesn't automatically judge us in that same particular way well i can't say that for in all cases but in most cases and he pulled out and didn't bear seed to his brother broke the covenant and broke the the, the cultural practices and was judged for that and it says in verse 10 and that thing displeased the most high and he slew him as well so both of them have been slain so in verse 11 it says then judah said to tamar hey look be a widow go live with your father when my son grows up i'm gonna give it to him but in his mind he's like lest you make him die too like you did the other brothers i'm not doing that and tamar went and dwelt at her father's house but judah had other motivation he was lying to her basically and he was trying to protect his 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 last son he was like man both my sons is gone wow the most i really didn't want me to go into this seed line because of these practices and i i really screwed up but i don't want to lose at least this last one so i'm going to protect him according to the flesh right and then you see in verse 12 it says in the process of time the daughter of Shua, judah's wife died so judah's wife died and he went out to timnath to go chill and he was with his friends he going right back into the mess that he started from he forgot about his sons dying because of the covenant that he was violating he went right back into doing what he do and tamar heard that and was like oh my father-in-law is going out there hmm, let me get him so in verse 14 and she put her widow's garment off from her and covered her veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place at timnath for she saw that sheila was grown Tamar was like, oh, so your son got older and you lied and now your wife is dead? I'm about to get into this bloodline. I'm about to bear children in this space. You're not finna let me go with nobody because I can't get no man over here because they know my history. So she was in a bad situation. So she said, I got to do what I got to do to survive. So she came to him as to a harlot. And he thought she was just a, a harlot. So that's once again, Judah, you know us out here, <laughs> just out here just messing with any girl oh you you ready to get it get it on cool i don't need to know nothing about you that's why it's important to know who you're getting in bed with and that's a lesson learned that you can be getting in with just random people and not know what kind of energy what seed line they come from who they are and you just getting in for the physical pleasure but you don't know what that physical pleasure comes so much more and right now we're gonna see it from a physical standpoint but from a spiritual standpoint you don't know what kind of energy you're picking up brother so you need to be very mindful as well as women not to just do this one night stands and just sleeping with around and so forth. You bring your value down, not just from a, um, a physical standpoint, but from a spiritual discerning standpoint, from a seed level standpoint, your pedigree. You know, they talk about how many bodies you got and so forth and so on. We have to be much more mindful of these things as we're getting back to our consciousness from a spiritual, mental, emotional standpoint. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, her he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face and he turned unto her by the way and said go i pray let me come into you let me you know what, what can we do so we're seeing that once again that perversion he was operating that toxic masculine energy as we would say today he was operating in that he had just lost his wife you know he's sad he's like i'm about to just go out there and wild out and and get it in and he went back to what he used to do he went back to the the people that he wasn't supposed to be with so he was in error he was outside of the covenant of the most high and he's having this conversation with her and she's like listen he said i ain't got no money right now but i'm gonna I'm pay you she said 
give me your staff, give me your signet and I bracelet. And then tomorrow when you bring the money, I give it to you. He's like, all right, cool. Gave it to her, went into her, had sex with her. Then verse 20, he sent his servant out and said, hey, go check out with that lady. Get my stuff from her. Give her this money. He went over there. was like, yo, she was not there. I don't know where she is. He's like, well, this is not a good thing. And in verse 23, it says, and Judah said, let her take it. Let's go. I ain't finna keep messing with her. I don't want nobody to know what I have done. And a lot of times when we do things, when we're in vulnerable positions in our lives, when there's a death in the family or when we go through a breakup or a loss or a loss of job or a loss of money or whatever, sometimes our discernment can be off and we can make decisions in haste and be shameful or sad or broken from it. Judah was dealing with a lot of shame at this particular point and wanted to move on. And then once again, it never goes away. Three months later, he was there. And they came and said, yo, Tamar has been playing the harlot again and brought forth a child and we're going to burn her. We're going to set her on fire. Now, once again, if we're reading this from Western standpoint, we'd be like, this is wrong. This is human rights. This is women's right. And that's absolutely true. And that does apply in this particular setting. But the context was dealing more directly with bloodline, cultural practices, in the way they did do things, even you see a lot of times in more traditional Islamic countries, you see that that type of practice still being engaged. I'm not saying that it is a good practice. I am saying that in this particular context, it was about the preservation of a seed line of a nation of a people. And they were perceiving her to be wrong, which is the chauvinistic and patriarchal um, pathway that is contrary to the ways of the original intent of the Most High and is wrong. However, we're going to see how the Most High, even through human error, was able to rectify it by showing that he who was without sin cast the first stone. Just like they tried the same thing with our Savior when they brought the woman caught in adultery and they were going to stone her. And he said, he who was without sin, you cast the first stone. They realized that, oh, he's speaking to me because I've done a similar thing. And this is what he was pointing to. He was pointing to this particular instance where Judah, who was about to cast the first stone in verse 25. And when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law and said, by the man whom these are, I am with child. And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, the bracelet, and the staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I because I gave not my son Selah to her and he knew her no more again. So you see here that Judah's like, bring her forth. She should be burnt. Let's destroy her. Baba boom. And then when she was like, all right, you're going to destroy me. Whose signet is this? Whose bracelet is this? That's the baby daddy. Like in the, the, the movie life, I'm the pappy. And he had to come to acknowledgement and that showed the power of Judah. That's why he was called praise. The savior came through his bloodline. Even we see in his descendant, David, experiencing a similar situation with Bathsheba. Once he acknowledged he was wrong, he rectified it as opposed to being prideful and saying like, nah, Berna, she's wrong. He said, wow, I messed up. I was not just I caused her to fall into this era. I take responsibility let her live. And there was justice done there. So something that started off wrong, something that was off, ended up becoming a beautiful thing. 
we are usually more forgiving. This is the key. We are usually more forgiving when we see our own weakness and wrongdoing. When we see that we're human, when we see that, wow, I'm not perfect. So I need to be more gracious toward other people. And Judah was able to see his fault, which was a good trait that we even see, like I said, with David, who was from the tribe of Judah. So that spirit of praise, that energy of vulnerability and transparency comes as a default to Judah and his seed line that, hey, we can acknowledge when we're wrong. And that's what he was able to do. And as a result of that, she had twins. She had twins in her womb, which is partially what Jacob has. So you're saying Judah was a high vibrational child that was bearing a similar pathway of his father. But because he went contrary to it, it came out more along the side of Esau because Esau married into the Canaanite women as well. And you see in verse 30 and afterward came out his brother that had a scarlet thread on his hand. and His name was Zara. And Faraz and Zara were the two sons that came out from this situation that took place. And the power of Judah to replicate the Jacob and Esau pattern, just like with a family who have twins. Oh, you're bearing twins because your forefathers had twins and Judah had that kind of energy. But because he married outside of the covenant, he manifested both. His father, Jacob, bear forth seeds that would maintain the kingdom, whether it be David, the savior, Mesendesi, or Yeshua. It's a little closer vibration, so I'll, 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 I'll say that at least. Um, or the one that they call Jesus came from the line of Judah. So he was still in alignment with Jacob. But there was a portion of him when he married the Canaanite that was more Esau. So you see that principle once again that the third and fourth generation will be manifest through these different sea lines. So we're seeing so much here that is actually beautiful. Now we're going forward to chapter 39. So the Most High was within the spiritual DNA structural lineage or the ley lines to redeem and intervene based on the covenant that was still undergirding this mishap. So the Most High still doesn't go contrary to his ways and his word. And Joseph was within those frameworks. So that was a beautiful thing. And the Most High was with Joseph and prospered him. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So this is the first stage of his testing, but it's still within a royal pathway. He was still a royal priesthood. So he was with a person of royalty, but he was the head of that house. He was still in charge of everything. So the Most High was still training him for where he was going to go, although it was in the captivities. So a lot of times we have power in the captivity. But if we don't understand that the power is from a DNA level and because of the, the transgressions he was still in an enslaved or indentured servitude position, but was on the pathway to fullness. And the master or Potiphar saw that the Most High was with him. Everything that Joseph touched, the Most High made it prosper. So he found grace and served him and was the overseer of his whole house and was a good looking man. His wife was like, I need some of that. And when you look in the book of Jasher, it goes into deep detail of how obsessed she was with Joseph. And he kept resisting her because he, first of all, obeyed the covenant. He understood the most high's ways. He understood what Jacob taught him, that you don't fornicate. 
and you don't commit adultery and you don't want to mess up this great position you have and you don't mix with those other nations even though they were all afro people so not all afro people are good you have to know who you are in your seedbed and at this time because we've been mixed in so many different ways you have to use discernment on who you connect with and who you choose to have seed with and the most i would lead you to make sure that you're operating within those covenantal lines i do believe that and he there are definitely fingerprints that you can learn and see when you're in that space if you're walking according to the ways of most High, he'll begin to reveal these things to you that's why it's important for us to keep the Sabbaths, to keep his laws and his statutes and his commandments, to seek after him. He will give you insight to who's who and who you need to be with. Definitely. And Joseph kept refusing and did not sleep with her. And it came to pass that she lied and was like, no, he came in here. He tried to rape me. He trying to mock us and da da da. And Potiphar deep inside, I'm, he was like, man, I got to, I got to. I got it. I got to do it. So when you see in verse uh, chapter 39, verse 19, and it came to pass when the master heard the words of his wife. And he said, man, I got to I got to put him in prison and he put him in the prison. He became what? Look at verse 20. And Joseph's master or Potiphar took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. He put him where the king's prisoners were bound, meaning he put him in federal and not state. If we were going to translate that in today's term, he could have put him in a pit, but he put him in the king's prison. So he had to keep his word because he couldn't make his wife to look like a liar because then politically that'll make him look bad and so forth and so on. So it was a political move. But he also realized, hey, the most High's with this kid. I know he didn't do it. So I'm going to put him in a, in, a, in a soft spot so he don't get tormented and destroyed. And the most High gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison as well. And in verse 22, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, they was under his command. And in verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the most I was with him and caused everything he did to prosper. So even now you're seeing the second phase where the most high, it looks like a bad situation, but the most high was training Joseph, getting that flesh out of him maturing him with wisdom to become a leader in difficult situations and teaching him how to deal with different human beings, how to deal with the people in Egypt and this different culture, how to handle it, how to maneuver, teaching them a bunch of things. So when you're going through your hard times on your way to destiny, on your way to success, to the vision, the dream that the Most High has given you within his covenant, not these dreams that they say here to become this and become this career, which could be used obviously in that space. But the Most High's dream is so much bigger than that. Your dream is connected to DNA, not to how much money you're going to make or how it's going to make you look good or it's going to feed your ego. When that's the things that are driving you, that is not a dream from the Most High. Or it's not a, it is a dream from the Most High, but it's an immature state of looking at it. Because Joseph went through a similar thing where he was operating in his divine destiny, but he wasn't mature enough to be able to discern it properly. So he went from Potiphar's house, was the head over that, got lied on, mistreated. It wasn't even true. Now he's in the prison house and he still has favor. The warden was like, you're in charge. Whatever you say is what happens because you're good. And all the prisoners were going to him. And now him who gave dreams and understood dreams was now being able to interpret dreams. So the dreamer is now being able to serve in that capacity to understand dreams and that gift will make room for him 
where now he would be able to move forward into his fullness. So we see here he meets with the butler and the baker and he discerns what their dreams were about throughout chapter 40. And they realize one of y'all is going to get killed and one of y'all are going to stay. Chapter 40, verse 8. And they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretation belong to the most high. Tell me, I will seek the most high and learn. So the chief butler told him his dream and that he was a vine before me. And there was three branches and it budded and the blossomed and it shot forth in clusters and brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them for Pharaoh's cup and gave them cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, and yet in these three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore you to thy place and you will be his cupbearer. So everybody's like, yeah, okay. After Joseph is telling the butler, hey, this great thing is going to happen for you, but show kindness to me. When you get out there, can you tell Pharaoh to bring me out of this house to get me out? He was trying to rush the most high's process. And the butler's like, yeah, I got you, man. You know, when I get out, I'm going to look out for you. And what usually happens, people be like, you know, when I get to the top, once I get that record sold, man, I know you helped me, y'all. I know you helped me, John Boy Crank. I'm going to do this. I ain't heard from none of them. <laughs> because the most high didn't want me going through that pathway. And I had to learn that as well. So a lot of times you will help others on their journey. And you're only supposed to be there for a season. You're not supposed to go with them. And the most high doesn't want you dependent on anyone else. And that's a lesson that he had to learn. Just like you knew the most high brought you the dream and gave you the interpretation. Don't start thinking that man is now going to be your source because your job and your destiny is tied to me. And it's bigger is to preserve the nation. And you need to learn that lesson in order for me to then be able to trust you, to give you the keys of the kingdom so that you can maneuver. And this is the, the lessons that Joseph is learning while in a predicament that felt like it was horrible. So then now the chief baker in verse 16, then the baker was like, chill, 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 chill. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, Joseph, I had a dream too. Behold, there were three baskets on my head. You know, he was going in. He sounded like somebody who's probably from the streets. That's the energy I get from him. Someone who was kind of brute and was out here making it happen. And Joseph said, uh, this is the interpretation of the three baskets. It's also three days. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He all happy like, yo, well, check this. Watch out. He about to be, I'm about to be out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let him finish though. So Joseph was like, yeah, but your outcome is a little different. Verse 19. Within three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head off of thee and shall hang you on a tree and the birds shall eat thy flesh. And they were like, whoa, what? Baker, you are going to get killed. That dream you had is going to put you into the grave. Sorry to tell you that, but you have to be truthful with what is being done and he was learning how to tell people tough truths and still maintain his integrity regardless of how they were going to perceive it he didn't lie to him because he didn't regard man at this point he's realizing i have to be obedient because i told him that the most high is the one who's interpret and gives dreams and then in verse 20 and it came to pass on the third day which was pharaoh's birthday he had a feast and all his servants he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker amongst his servants and he restored the chief butler to his butlership and he gave him the cup just like joseph said but he hung the chief baker as it was interpreted and in verse 23 yet the chief butler remembered joseph not but forgot him oh and Joseph still in the prison. He's still in the feds. Hearing other stories. And they're like, oh man, didn't you? Didn't you? I remember when you told him that. I remember when you did that for him. And you hear nothing. They forgot about Joseph. 
but the Most High doesn't forget. And that's the most important lesson learned is that no matter where you're at, you may have done so many great things for people. You've helped people get out of situations. You served with them. You gave them money. You did all kinds of things. But it seems like there's a silence. Remember who your source is. The Most High is your source. And at the right time, the Most High will have people circle back around who you've helped. Or those who you haven't helped, you've sold them seeds. The Most High is going to bring a new set of people who will come and help and put you in a position or help bring you to the position that you're destined to hold on to or you're destined to govern. So learn the lessons while you can. And at the right time, the Most High will satisfy you with bread and bring you into the fullness of your purpose. We'll pick it up from chapter 41 next time.